Hey, you're listening to Talking Tunes. My name is Wackle and I'm a music producer and the host of this podcast. This is a music podcast series where I invite artists in for a talk about the songwriting and production processes. Each episode is focused on one artist and one song of their choosing. And today I'm talking with Tamara Lindemann, who is the woman behind the Canadian act The Weather Station. The song we're talking about is on her self-titled album and is called You and I on the Other Side of the World. Tamara produced her latest album herself, and besides talking about the track, she also shares her experience producing folk music. She talks about microphones and how to stand up for yourself as a new producer. Girls awesome. Music podcast. The podcast is part of Girls Are Awesome, which is a platform and brand dedicated to redefining female representation in the media. We work in a number of ways to create more representation both offline and online and do our best to share stories of inspirational women. Our crew is a mix of guys and girls united around the idea that gender should never be a limitation. This is the first of two Roskilde Festival episode specials and was recorded at Roskilde Festival in Denmark. Therefore, you'll get the experience or remember the vibe of being in a big field surrounded by a lot of people and sound and absolutely no quiet places. I hope you enjoy the ambience and thank you for listening. First up, let's take a short listen to you and I on the other side of the world by The Weather Station. I'm Tamara Lindemann. I am the weather station. Okay, uh, we're at Roskilde Festival in Denmark. Um, it's a sort of cloudy, cool day, but it's very beautiful. There's a lot of lovely plants and trees everywhere and birds calling, which is not the usual summer festival vibe. We just played. It was awesome, actually. We had so much fun. Sometimes we get saddled with the sort of singer-songwriter slot, and there's, you know, it's like us at the same time as the yoga, you know, Something, sort yeah. of like a <laughs> little imagine. bit low energy, you know, this was a really nice contrast from that. It's very, very lively crowd. Yeah, I feel like the, because I was in the crowd, of course, mm -hmm. looking, and I feel like everyone was really happy and, yeah, and you know, moving, just having their even fur, a bit. Yeah, 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 even moving. Good, yeah. So we are here today to talk about you and I. Yeah. And really, First off, I just want to hear how did the writing, like how did it start? Originally I'd been writing, I found myself writing about a time I was in Australia uh, with my partner. Um, we just had toured there and then we took a little vacation and it was just so surreal because um, it was January and at home it's winter obviously and we we're standing on a beach in Australia and Australia is surreal in general it's just so unbelievably beautiful and it's so strange it's so far away it's literally the other side of the world so it kind of started with that image and then 
yeah, it just sort of turned into a meditation on how it felt to meet my partner and how, uh, you know, sort of the idea of commitment, you know, like what, what, what does it mean? It, it, you know that you're committed, but you don't know what that will mean in the future, you know, like yeah, anything yeah. could happen. So I was talking about, about like a endless understanding. It's, it's about marriage, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, you say so. so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking because uh, you describe a situation of him, I guess, yeah. standing in the hallway. Yeah. Well, it's a very strong memory of um, we met and then we're in different parts of the country for a couple months and didn't know necessarily like we, we liked each other, but there was no understanding of that. And then he came to my house to uh, hang out. We weren't sure what was going to happen. And he kind of appeared in, at my door and I just felt a very strong feeling of uh, that this, you know, that we were connected and that I was going to, that, you know, all the weight that that implies, you know, where you sort of feel like you're taking on a person for better or for worse, all the good and the yeah. bad. So, yeah, it was this image of, um, yeah, him showing up at my house kind of for the first time and not even knowing if it was a date, but then it, it was. <laughs> I feel like the specific is stronger often. Yeah. Like often I originally write kind of lyrics that kind of sound like everyone else's. Like they tend to be a bit just like fluffy, floaty. I yeah, don't know yeah. what they mean <laughs> exactly. And then I really tr make an effort to try to pin it down to something real. Because I, you know, like I, a lot of the writers I love do that. And it's, it's those little like details that pull you into a specific situation. I think that that can elevate a song above just like a, expressing a sentiment. Yeah. You know? Because it's all it's also easier like saying I saw you in the hallway than saying well, I saw I you love for you. the first time yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah totally. Because well, that's so that's a bit weak maybe, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's just my personal taste. I really like those details and also I really like those words, you know? I like putting in words that aren't. It's funny how everyone I don't know what it's like in other languages, but writing in English, there's these words that everyone just puts in songs that sound good when you mm -hmm. sing them. That's why they wind up in all these songs. But I like trying to put in other things and words that I don't hear in songs. You remember in all about kind of breaking whatever rules even I myself kind of have rules for myself and then the moment I something solidifies into feeling like a rule I'm just like oh I'm gonna write a song that's nothing like that you know I always have to break whatever convention um, so when you when you for instance when you cut a word in half is it because you think it it means more that way or is it because you're trying to fit it into the melody or do you have any Or it's just something that happens. Maybe you haven't thought yeah, that much about it. Yeah, I think sometimes, it. sometimes you're just trying to fit it in, or it makes the rhyme more interesting. So on the record, it's Ben Whiteley who plays bass with me uh, in the band. Um, I actually worked with a different drummer than usually plays with me, a guy named Don Kerr, 
who is a beautiful drummer. Um, my friend Afi Yervinen played some piano. I think I played piano on that song as well. I did some overdubs with friends. Like I, there's this guy named Ben Boy who plays with Riley Walker. Yeah. And I really love his playing so much, and I just wanted him on the record. So I, he he actually, he lived in LA at the time. So he actually just sent me some stuff over email, and I kind of modern times cut it, cut it in, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. So there's some organ. I think there's some acoustic guitar played by Nathan Salzberg, who once again, this is just me being like, who is my favorite person and who like who are all my favorite people I want on my record? Um, Nathan Salzberg is a beautiful solo acoustic guitar player from Kentucky. He plays with Joan Shelley. One thing I noticed is that it's super slow. It's so slow. It's so it's like 70. I like I tapped it and it's like it's 70 slow. beats per minute or something. It's funny actually because we recorded it. Sometimes you just get in this good mood and and we all were like this sounds so good. And then I actually that was the first session for the record. It was like two days or something. We just did a few songs, um, and then went home and. I actually was like, this is way too slow. Yeah. And we tried to redo it, but there was just some really nice, This, I think this song was actually the first song we recorded on the record, and there was just a really nice glue. And the the pocket of the drums is so strong. Um, that's something I really like about Don's playing. It's so groovy. And he, he'll like change tempo with, with us when it's desired. Um, we did that a lot on the record, but yeah, we just were like, you know what? It's it's beautiful the way it is. So we decided to leave it super slow. Um, live, it's pretty different. Like it's faster, louder. But um, yeah. Do you ever think about deciding which tempo your songs? Like, is yeah. it something that you do like very uh, strictly, or something that just sort of happens with the drummer? Or um, yeah, I do think about it. It's it's something that I feel like I'm still learning because up until recently, not recently, the last couple years, I played alone a lot. So I could play songs at whatever speed I felt was working that day. It is funny how speed, like your perception of speed really changes. You know, if you drink a coffee, everything sounds slow. If you're tired, everything sounds fast. It's, it's, um, I really did, uh, mean to next time I make a record, like this record wasn't really, you know, the band wasn't formed. Like it wasn't like we jammed out the songs a lot first. Like, we did a little bit, but they weren't fully formed in that way. And there's a few that I wish, I wish I'd played them with the band live a whole bunch of times, and then and then figured out a tempo, and then and then gone into the studio with that as a guide. But you live, you Whatever. learn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, now when we first were practicing as the band, we did have tempos and tried to stick to them, and then it gets into your muscles, and then you play it at that speed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. So the um, because almost everyone plays to a click track when they record their track, and you mm -hmm. just mentioned that you don't. Is this something that you don't do in folk? Yeah, I mean, I think it is less common, but tons of people use click tracks. Most people do. I think a lot of people expect you to, but I just have this real hatred for them. I hate them. I, I can't, I, I have, there is something really beautiful about certain music that's extremely straight, like electronic music, you know, when the beat is so straight and there's no variation and then there's that little variation and you feel it so strong. But yeah, I really, 
recording especially, there's something about, I think I actually have a pretty bad sense of, not bad sense of rhythm, but I have a strange sense of rhythm. Maybe like an or- organic sense yeah, of an rhythm? An organic sense of rhythm. That's like moving with you, yeah? I actually have had many conversations with my drummers about how I, there's parts of songs that I hear as right when they're actually like faster or slower than the rest of the song. So things move around. There's another song on the album that what part of what made it is it just like we start quite slow and then by the end of the song we're playing quite fast. Like there's probably like a eight or 10 beat per minute difference. And you know, that take we listen back, we're like, oh, that's a little ragged, but but then it because of If that it, it had the excitement. So yeah. yeah, I believe in a certain amount of not having a click track. I read that you produced the Weather Station album yourself. Mm-hmm. Is it the first one you produced or did you produce the other records as well? Well, so like when I first started playing music, it I wasn't even really like writing songs or playing music the way that one normally would. What drew me to it was I wanted to record music. So I knew someone who was recording and had a little setup in her bedroom and she lent me like some software. Yeah. Um, What software? Which I, uh, it was called Cakewalk. It's not okay, cool. Sonar. It. <laughs> it was called Sonar, but it was by Cakewalk. Yeah. Which was a really bad program to learn. I should have learned like Logic or something, but I learned Sonar. Um, and I just like rented an interface and a mic, and I just really got into recording. Um, and that was a really big part of my passion was the sounds of things and combining different sounds. And so I recorded these sort of soundscapey collages um, and I could kind of play guitar and I could kind of play banjo but not very well but because I was recording I could kind of like cut and paste and move things around and make it interesting so and then as I was doing that I'd always sang so it was sort of natural to write songs over top which turned into writing songs and then the next thing I did was just sort of go completely against that and make like a really folky album which was called All of It Was Mine, which was a collaboration between me and a, uh, a musician in Canada. Um, and then my next record was also a collaboration between me and a, another musician who had like strong, like both these guys I worked with are very strong personalities who are very, have big ideas and um, yeah, and it was, It, it was good and it, it was a collaboration and I think we both brought things to the table but on this record I knew that I didn't necessarily I didn't feel that I was uh, knowledgeable enough to engineer it but I wanted to make myself the producer so that it, it wasn't I wasn't beholden to anyone you know it was just my vision yeah, yeah. and I could be like we're doing this or we're doing that or we're using this microphone or we're not this doesn't sound right this does sound right and not have there be no one else in that process so it was really great and I worked with a really wonderful engineer um, for most of it uh, named Howard Billerman who was really great and really patient and great to work with and was comfortable with me being um, picky about certain things and and very patient with me making mistakes basically I think you have to be very patient very if you want to be an engineer, to be an engineer yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah. So if you were to describe the role producer, like what does that word mean to you? Right. I mean, to me, it, it, it often does mean the person who recorded the record, but in the, you know, it also can just mean the person that's there guiding the process, the person that's deciding, you know, which direction it's going in and deciding whether or not you have the take and, you know, assembling the musicians um, and guiding sort of the final processes to, uh, you know, making the decisions of what you know what elements stay in the mix and what don't and stuff like that so yeah like I say I don't it's I I didn't record the record but I I was I let myself you're kind be of being the, the boss, the boss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think you're right yeah I, I come from a more um, I make electronic music oh, only cool. and don't play the guitar yeah yeah so for me the producer is the one who like does it's always the one who does everything because yes you know you write the music as you produce yes yeah but i guess when you wrote you and i you were on the guitar or something yeah, just yeah. on the guitar yeah. yeah and how did it transform from being you on the guitar singing to having a band with you yeah it actually that song really turned out kind of the way i pictured it i had this i wanted like sort of a bit of the neil young drum style like sort of very basic kind of a bit ragged and I wanted strings. I had that melody in mind, the sort of main string melody, kind of an old fashioned melody for strings to play. Um, and yeah, the, the, the song was pretty much how I, how I pictured it. Also the bass, I wanted to be very busy and sort of um, like, I really like Gordon Lightfoot and on his records, often there's no drums, there's just acoustic guitar and bass and the bass is just constantly playing melodies so I wanted that style of bass playing Love it is no mystery Never has been No not to me If you were to give any advice to someone who maybe just started producing do you have something that you wish you knew when you started? Yeah, I mean I feel really strongly about recorded music Obviously, I think about it all the time. It's, you know, I really love songs, but my, you know, my first love when I'm listening to a record is like not, is, is the alchemy between the way the song sounds, the performance and the song itself, you know, like, and I, I really think that a lot of people right now are just kind of making the same mistake of making records that sound really polished and professional, but have no life you know and yeah. if you go all of those people if you ask them you know what's your favorite record they'll be like oh bob dylan such and such and you're like go listen to that record all the instruments are out of tune the tempo is not the tempo tickling. really changes around <laughs> yeah. you know like and and there's a lot of pressure to kind of sound like everything else which i feel as well you know like you don't you want to be careful not to, you know in the mixing you want to make sure that the bass is appropriate and all you know that the highs are the right amount of high to fit with everything else that a person might be listening to but the more even as i move on from this record i'm just like it should sound interesting you know if it doesn't sound don't just record an acoustic guitar to sound like every acoustic guitar you've ever heard like that's professional but to me it's also just like at a certain point is anyone gonna you know 
yeah. be interested yeah. you know <laughs> like think about your favorite records all have really strange sounding instruments on them i mean i love when there's an electric guitar somewhere in a mix and you're like is that a trumpet you know you like you don't know because obviously somebody was tired and put a weird mic on it and it sounds yeah. strange and that you know that can be the thing that makes the track so yeah that would be my advice is learn how to do it right but then don't always do it right <laughs> I have a ribbon microphone called a Royer. Yeah. When I first started my this folky record I made, we only used this one microphone like on every instrument on the record on the piano, on the guitar, on the drums, on the vocals. And um, a lot of people are like you can't use ribbon microphones on a vocal, which is funny because every record before you know, the 50s was ribbon yeah. microphones on a vocal and sounds amazing. So, but yeah, I, I had taken that to heart at some point along the way and thought, well, I really shouldn't be using this ribbon microphone on my vocals, even though I really liked the sound of it. And on this record, I went on this really funny microphone excursion where I was borrowing, you know, $10,000 U67s from people and like trying to track down these like fin like I really just took it way too far I tried every microphone it seems under the sun and then we were mixing the record like it was like time to Wrap finish the vocal yeah. <laughs> and I had I had vocals on all the songs but the guy I was mixing it with was like you know like I listened to one of your earlier records and there's this vocal sound like, what microphone was that? I was like, that's my Royer. And I went home, grabbed my microphone, bring it back to the studio and sang like all the songs on this ribbon microphone. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm never listening to anyone again who tells me that I can't do something <laughs> because it just is the right mic for my voice for whatever reason. And um, yeah, it's a very magical microphone, the Royer 122, yeah. yeah. I guess mics are really important when you record organic instruments, which totally. you do a lot, of Mics course. are so important. It's, yeah. it's really interesting because it, it, it changes the sound so much. Obviously, preamps are important too. Yeah, you can really get such a different color out of a different mic. Do you know what your bass player likes? A microphone? No, amp. Oh, what amp? Um, he actually, he's not, he doesn't get like too obsessed with amps. He's more obsessed with basses. Like he has really nice Fender P basses. But on this record, we actually went through a bunch of different amps and we wound up using a twin reverb, which is a guitar amp. Yeah. And it sounded really good. I guess it sort of fits the very melodic. Yeah, I think bass amps are great for live because they give you that low low end. But it's really interesting how, you know, not a lot of low end can really fit on a record. And a brighter bass is actually a really nice sound that a lot of people don't use anymore. But if you listen to anything from the 60s or 50s, the bass is very bright. So, yeah, using a guitar amp can be a really good way to, to bring that out. More than I could imagine oh, space I cannot like a song. You know, I think like in in collaboration with the your the name of your podcast and it being about producing, which is so cool, you know, I really I think back to my own journey, which is I started out recording and I 
I learned a lot, you know, and I taught myself how to do it. And I taught myself about all these effects and, and I felt really confident, you know, for a long time. And then the moment I kind of got out of my room and I was trying to work with other people or, you know, I, I immediately just got so intimidated by this style, which a lot of men have of just being like, well, you can't, you know, like you can never, I mean, you know, people, a lot of audio guys are very opinionated and very, which is good because it allows them clarity when making decisions. Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, there's all these sort of talk that can be a bit macho, like, oh, well, that compressor's terrible, you know, like, I don't know who buys it, you know, just like this yeah. sort of very, and I really took that to heart, and I was like, man, I guess I just have so much to learn, I don't know when I'm going to be able to learn all of this stuff, whereas, like, a lot of men I know who have become producers who maybe started out the same way as I did, just trying, just trying things in their bedroom, and now are producers, you know, they didn't take that to heart, they just kept going and recording bands whether or not they knew what they were doing, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's a really interesting thing for, you know, because I think a lot about, like, why are there no women producing records? Um, and I think there's an element of that where, you know, women hear someone arrogantly giving an opinion and think, wow, like, they must be right. Like, I I didn't know. I, I must not know anything. And men hear that and they think, like, whatever. You know, like, I, I don't know. Um, so for me, it's it's really a journey of trying to figure out how to be opinionated myself and how to understand what advice is really important and what advice isn't, you know? Yeah, like, but I guess also being opinionated, but, you know, respecting that other people have their own journey so you absolutely. don't seem arrogant. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or just, yeah, just trying to figure out, you know, which of of all the advice that's ever been given, you know, what's... What do you need to keep and what can you go against in certain situations, you know? So, yeah, it's a pretty cool journey. Cool. cool. Thank you Thank for you so coming.
And alone.